0: We've been discussing the Gospel of Mark, and in the context of Mark 8, 31 through chapter 10 and verse 52, Mark deals with discipleship, walking with God, walking with Christ, being sensitive to him. In chapter 10, 1 through 12, Christ dealt with a marriage focus and a divorce culture because the Pharisees came to Christ and asked him a question about divorce and Christ takes him back to Genesis 1 and 2 you know in marriage in verses 13 through 16 Christ speaks about the fact that it's necessary to receive the kingdom of God as a little child and a little child being helpless that is helplessly dependent then in verses 17 through 31 of chapter 10 we find that a rich man comes to Jesus and wants to know what he must do to inherit the kingdom of God. And the rich man is independent. And when Jesus said, you know, go sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me, he was unwilling and he went away sad. You will find that Jesus is calling disciples to a radically different lifestyle than the world culture in which we live. We're called to be a marriage marriage. We're marriage-focused, not divorce-focused in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 10. We're called to helpless dependency, not independency in Mark 10, 13 through 16. We're called to enter the kingdom of God and invite others to enter the kingdom of God, not because of something we can do, but rather because of what God will do. Because coming into the kingdom of God is a God thing, not human effort. So we want to read together Mark 10, 1 through 16. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was, he, as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let not man separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth anyone who will not leave the kingdom, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. The Pharisees basically had an independent lifestyle. Thus, their focus was more on divorce than marriage. The 12 had a mindset of the whole kingdom of God, that apparently we have to do something. And Jesus reminds them, no, it's me. It's God. It's a God thing when someone comes into a relationship with God, comes into the kingdom of God. And that is driven home in verses 13 through 16 when he says, unless someone received the kingdom of God like a little child, he will never enter it. This morning we want to pose some questions, taking this passage along with a parallel passage in Genesis, and think about how to live in a culture that isn't always according to what Scripture says, A divorce culture, if you please, but yet having a biblical mindset. So I'm going to raise a question or two or three, depends on how much time or as time permits. But thinking again about how to live and how to respond in light of scripture and a helpless dependency upon Christ. And in light of the questions I raise, it's very true in our culture. It may be becoming more true some of the questions I will raise. Some of you may have been there, but hear me out as we think about Scripture. So the first question is, since there is so much divorce in our country and among professing believers, would it be better to live together before marriage to see if the relationship will work? we hear that we see it practiced and our goal should not be to con- condemn those who may practice that but how should we respond in our own thinking god designed marriage genesis 1 and 2 i think that makes it pretty clear and he brings that out in matthew 5 or matthew 10 when he tells the pharisees you know what did god do at the beginning he knows how it was, is to function, and he said it was very good. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was an evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. He knows best. It's humans, and this involves human sexuality. The image of God is central in marriage. Male and female in marriage or to display God's image. Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. Adam and Eve, according to what Christ appeals to in Mark 10, male and female, were to display God's image. As you think about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and they're relating to one another, Adam and Eve were to model that. They were to picture that. That's involved in God's image. Relationship of intimacy, permanence, oneness, community, roles, responsibilities, reproduction. That being modeled. See, when Jesus is speaking in Mark chapter 10, and he appeals, when responding to the Pharisees, appeals to Genesis 1 and 2, he's talking about being a disciple. Basically, saying to the Pharisees, You're thinking divorce, I'm communicating marriage. Living in our culture today, being a disciple is to have a biblical outlook. And if the image of God is central in marriage and to be displayed between a male and female, that requires effort in our fallen, broken world and a deep dependency upon Christ. If you've been married more than an hour or two, you realize that uh, picturing the image of God in marriage requires effort. It doesn't just happen. Intimacy of persons within marriage doesn't just happen. Oneness within marriage doesn't just happen. So Friday morning, Ruthann and I decided to go see my mom. And uh, Ruthann said, well, maybe we can talk about, and she mentioned something we could talk about on the way. I thought, oh, this will be interesting. And uh, we ended up talking about it. What were we doing? We were seeking to picture the image of God. Ruthann was sharing some things. I responded some. But moving towards an intimacy in an area of life that we struggle sometimes after, still struggle after some 42 years but moving towards a dependency upon Christ. This is a God thing, that helpless dependency where we allow God to work in our life. See, within the marriage relationship, there's a need for a husband to quite often, along with a wife, quite often to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Give me some more input so I know how to love you, how to follow you. Picturing the image of God, that's God's design. Then notice the order. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You know, there's a order, a leaving, husband, wife, lee, mom and dad, a uniting. A welding together, and in our culture today, I think that involves a legal ceremony of commitment to intimacy and permanence. And then one flesh. One flesh would involve total openness, which is ultimately expressed in physical oneness. But all three are involved in marriage. So when Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, they're thinking divorce running every reason, and Jesus appeals back to Genesis. And in our culture today, Well, we'll live together before we get married to see if this works or not. Jesus would say, think about Genesis 1 and 2. Leave, united, one flesh. In verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I am the conviction that as you study the passage, the nakedness here is not merely a physical nakedness. It's a total openness. When someone is naked, they're not covered. When someone is naked mentally, they're known fully. When someone is naked emotionally, they're known fully. When someone is naked physically, they can be seen fully. When someone is naked spiritual, they're known fully. And I think that is also involved, not only a physical nakedness, but just like in the Godhead, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. They knew one another fully within marriage. God's design is an openness. And living in a fallen world, that requires commitment. An unconditional commitment. (laughs) So some 42 years ago, a little over 42 years ago, Ruthann and I get married and no, we made our vows to one another. Ruthann thought she was marrying the perfect guy in the perfect family. That was her initial thought. She changed her mind, I think, long before we get married. But there was a lot of things about me that she did not know. A lot. A lot of things about her I didn't know. That glue is essential for that oneness to be developed. Ruth Ann's family enjoys talking, and I jokingly share that when we were dating, I was sitting in the living room. Her mother and I think Ruth Ann, I'm not sure who else, were out in the kitchen getting ready for the meal. I was sitting on the sofa. Ruth Ann's grandfather, aunt, and cousin were in the room. Three were talking. You can guess who was listening. I thought to myself, do I listen to her grandfather? Do I listen to her aunt or to her cousin? And I would say that critically, that's just the way the family was. But that's something I learned about them. Ruth Ann came to our family and we didn't talk a lot. You know, We'd ask a question and then silence for a period of time then someone might answer now those are surface things but how about when Ruthann went to put away my handkerchiefs in a drawer after we are married and uh, she didn't have them stacked quite right and I didn't respond kindly See, the commitment to one another works through that. You said that's a minor thing. I think some of you have fought over things like that, haven't you? But an openness. The longer a couple is married, the more they become an open book as they're seeking to develop a biblical marriage. And I think that's why, as you have older couples who have been married for years, have been working at... <clears throat> a Christ-church marriage, a Genesis 1 and 2 marriage, that they become more beautiful because they know one another better and they're committed to one another more and more in spite of all the struggles that they may have had along the way and all the joys and victories that they've had along the way. It takes time. It takes talking face-to-face to develop that type of Intimacy that pictures Christ in the church. But that cannot happen apart from an unconditional commitment the way God desires it. The uniting or commitment, the covenant, comes before the one flesh. An unconditional commitment expressed publicly is foundational to a God-designed one flesh. This oneness of commitment or covenant is essential for one flesh. Now we will resolve our problems. Whatever they are, you know, we want to resolve them. See, the idea of saying, well, we'll just live together before marriage to see if it works, then you're never committed to resolving your problems. If there's a problem, you just walk away and you become more selfish in the result or as a result. Again, it involves confession, <laughs> repentance, and seeking forgiveness. I don't keep track. I don't make a list of how often I've gone to Ruth and said, Honey, I'm, I blew it here. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Or she has come to me and said, Dan, you know, I blew it again. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? See, that's the uniting. That's the commitment. Relationships require humble dependency upon Christ. And that's where Mark 10 is coming from. A disciple is one who is dependent upon God, dependent upon Christ. And when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees about marriage, he's talking about a dependency upon Christ. As we seek to have a God designed marriage. See, marriage polishes us. There are character qualities that I would not have if Ruth Ann and I had not been married. Or are not married, I better put it that way. She has some qualities that she wouldn't have. Because humility and brokenness and a dependency upon Christ deals with some of those issues. We become less selfish and less demanding and more gracious as that commitment take pl- takes place. It's a foundational or foundation for working through the tough times. So in response to the question, since there is so much divorce in our country among professing believers, would it be better to live together before marriage to see if the relationship would work? No. It would not be better to live together before marriage. You're laying an incorrect foundation by going against the designer. It's like putting diesel fuel in your gasoline engine. We can go against God's design, but there are consequences. Walking with Christ in discipleship and humble dependency is seeking to have a biblical mindset. For those who have failed to follow God's design, there is hope (laughs) through repentance. Grace deals with all sin if one is willing to address it. And as believers, I'm very concerned about something. We may read in the paper. We may interact with people on the job or a neighbor or some in our family, and they may have chosen to live together before marriage, and we're out to reform them. We get on a campaign to change something. How about extending grace with Truth. Truth and grace, Christ came to reveal that. Yes, here's what God designed. But in grace, He wants to minister to you. Change comes through Christ. A couple thoughts in light of the culture in which we live. Parents and young people, if you do get married, my encouragement would be not to wait forever to marry. Some may not marry, 1 Corinthians 7, and that is fine. But we're told in our culture to get your finances in order, to get your education. And when you kind of get your little world in order, then maybe marry. God's design: male and female, to marry. If we wait indefinitely, have you stopped to consider how you're increasing the temptation? Why in the prime of one's sexuality do we say, wait? We say, wait, but don't get involved sexually. We're talking out two sides of our mouth. Wait, get your life in order, but don't get involved sexually. When God created us with sexual desires. And I'm not saying what age to marry or whatever. But is it always wise to follow that train of thought? And I would say to you parents and those of us who are grandparents also. To help your children deal with sexual temptation. We may tell kids, don't, don't, don't. We probably need to go a little beyond that. And some guidance on how to deal with it. Because God designed, leave united in one flesh. Helping a young person to deal with temptation that may be present. And I'm not going to discuss that necessarily this morning. But we can increase the temptation. We may say to a young person, wait, get your life in order. And then they get involved in pornography. More so than they may have otherwise. Otherwise. but extending grace with truth. So someone has not followed God's design. We don't shoot them. We extend truth. Here's what God says. We extend grace. Let Christ help you. See, that's part of what Christ is doing with the rich man. The rich man came to him with a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, Go sell what you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. He's speaking the truth, but he does so in grace, and the rich man chose not to follow. Since divorce is so painful, why don't we encourage a male and female to live together and then just separate if their relationship isn't working? It would be less painful. I'm not going to debate the degree of pain. But what I said earlier, God designed marriage, Genesis 1 and 2. He knows how it is to function. It was very good. He knows best. The image of God is central in marriage, which I mentioned before. Male and female in marriage are to display God's image. A relationship of intimacy, of permanence, of oneness, of community, of roles, of responsibilities, of Reproduction. God's order, as we mentioned earlier, leave, cleave, a uniting. All three are essential. We mentioned earlier the idea of nakedness, nothing to hide. See, the commitment to one another, to being glued together, doing what you can in your power, goes a long way in the difficulties and the joys of life. We will strive to walk through this. The uniting, the commitment, the covenant comes before one flesh. And that's God's design. It's not our design, but that is God's design for a definite reason because God is committed to his creation. You ever stop and think about God's commitment to his creation? He created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden, told them how to live and respond, gave them a free will. They chose not to trust God. And what did God immediately do? He pursued them, pursued Adam, then Eve. We come to the flood. God pursued Noah and his family. We come to Abraham. What did God do? God pursued it. Abraham, God pursued Isaac, God pursued Jacob. Saul, King Saul sinned, and what did God do? God pursued King Saul through the prophet Samuel. But Saul didn't want to respond. David sinned, what did God do? God pursued him through Nathan the prophet. So when we think about God's design and a uniting, a covenant, It's a covenant of pursuit. So Ruthann is mean and nasty to me one day. I think, I I don't know what to do with this woman. And that extends to a week. And it extends to two weeks. And I finally... Go to Danny, and I say to Danny or Jason, I don't know what to do with your mother. She's really mean and nasty. She's your wife, not mine or ours. You figure it out. Then they go one step further, and they say, Hey, Dad, how have you pursued her? Well, she is being mean and nasty. Why are you pursuing her? Well, when she gets straightened out, then I'll decide to respond. And then the boys say one other thing, Dad, when was the last time you admitted you were wrong to Mom? And suppose I were to say, I have no idea. I don't know if I ever did. And if they had any wisdom at all, they would probably say, Dad, you're probably the bigger problem. Then mom, pursue her and don't try to figure out what's wrong with her. You go and admit how you have failed her and ask her forgiveness. But see, that's a covenant. And our culture, and we may think, <clears throat> well, pain, divorce is painful, so we'll, you know, just try it out beforehand. We cannot encourage living together before marriage. Since it is contrary to God's design, his will, the foundation will be wrong. It would be comparable to putting sand and water in your lawnmower. See, God wants us to walk toward a relationship, not away from it. And we live in a world where we walked away from it. And some of you have been through things like that. Where we are in the present and how we think about relationships, pursue for God's glory. For those who have failed to follow God's design, there is hope through repentance. Grace deals with all sin if one is willing to address it. Let's focus on grace and truth. Well, this happened in my past, or I'm talking to someone and this has happened in their life be a grace giver and a truth speaker. So that's part of following Christ. That's part of helpless dependency. That's part of being a disciple. Extending grace, speaking truth, and allow, allowing Christ to work in our lives and allowing Christ to work In the lives of others. Our mission is not to find fault. Our mission is to walk, if you please, in helpless dependency upon Christ as we speak the truth, as we extend grace, living. Well, in a broken world. Some of you may know this about Ruth Ann and I, some of you may not. We started to date when I was 17 and Ruth Ann was 16. The way we met was at a box social. A box social or a youth group had a box social, the girls make a box with food in it. The guys are not supposed to know whose box it is, and the guys bid, and whatever box they buy, they have to eat with that girl. I'm a quiet, shy person. Ruth Ann was very quiet and shy and very nervous that night because one of her friends asked her to come to the box social because there wasn't enough girls for the guys. Her friend's brother promised to buy her box. I walked in, and I noticed that the girls that were there, there was none of them I really desired to eat with. I thought, Ruth Ann's not a bad-looking girl. I didn't know her, never seen her before. I thought, I think I'll buy her box. But I had a problem. I didn't know whose bo- or which box was hers. Well, the girl that Ruthann came with had two brothers. One was supposed to buy the box, and the other was supposed to zip the lip. But I talked to him enough that he was willing to tell me which box was Ruthann's. I outbid him. He ran out of money. $7 and something I paid for her box back in 1960-something. A lot of money for an apple and a sandwich and some chips. But as a result of that, we started to date. I don't know one else around, you know, may as well check this one out. You say, that doesn't sound very good. That's where I was at, and she just went with me because I was a nice guy. She will tell you that. Within probably around nine months or ten months, we get fairly serious. And it was no longer... Might we marry someday? It was more if and when. So at age 20, I get married. At age 19, Ruthann get married. We're young. Far below the age of what may be recommended today to get married. We were both quite stubborn. You know, stubbornness has an upside. An upside that will resolve something rather than admitting you can't resolve it. Our stubbornness over the years, which I think has become much more a, uh, a godly stick-to-tiveness and stubbornness, have got us through some ups and downs. I give an example two ways. I was used to in our home seeing the dishes done immediately after the meal. Everything was tidied up and put away, everything had a place and everything was in its place. Get married to Ruth Ann. And the dishes were done when there was no other dishes to use. <laughs> now that's a shocker for me. You know, after the first meal I think, well, why didn't she do the dishes, you know? I don't know. And after the second meal, you know, that's increases and after the you no, know, you know what happens. I trained her. (laughs) No, I say that jokingly. But that was something we had to work through. I didn't know that beforehand. I knew what her mother was like, but I didn't think this girl was going to be like that. We worked through that. Ruth Ann knew that I was quiet, but I don't think she ever comprehended how quiet I was. What do you think, Dan? I don't know. Yes? Are you thinking yes? And for years, I would disappoint her, and she would just feel like grabbing me sometimes and say, Dan, talk to me now. She didn't think that was going to happen. But the glue that held us together was we're going to be faithful to our vows. We live in a broken world. Whether you're young, 19 and 20, as Ruth Ann and I were, or 25 and 30, or 30 and 35, not so much about the age, but what does God say? Humbly living. Desiring his standard. And when you have blown it, coming humbly to God and saying, God, I blew it. When you're talking to someone who's blown it, extend grace, extend truth, and allow God to work in their lives for his glory. Our world is broken. We struggle. Let's be helpless and our dependency upon Christ. But at the same time, let's be grace givers as we speak the truth for God's glory. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for Christ, how he lived, how he responded, what he taught. We live in a broken, fallen world, Father. In our own relationships, within marriages, within families, we struggle. We come across people in our daily lives that are struggling in their relationships. Father, it's our desire to be sensitive to you. It's our desire to pursue people in our family, it's our desire to pursue those who may drift from you with grace, with truth. Work in our lives, Father. And I think all of us can look back and in one way, shape, or form think of times where we have blown it, we haven't responded correctly. But you and grace have worked in our lives or we wouldn't even be sitting here today. We're grateful for that. May we extend that to others, Father, as we are seeking to be ambassadors for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.